Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. fresh eyes and a fresh anointing. I just don't feel today that I'm going to inform you of anything, but I do feel that the Lord will help us be reminded of something. Amen. And reminders are wonderful things. The book of Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 1, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Perhaps one of the most reassuring phrases in all of the scripture is found in verse number one, and the word of the Lord came a second time. A few services ago, I mentioned a passage of scripture where we found for the first time that the scripture says that the word of the Lord came. Amen. That was not just one arbitrary mention, but over a hundred more times in the Old Testament where we find that phrase or that promise that the word of the Lord would come. And so it's very humbling and assuring that the spirit of God and the voice of God would come to man one time. But I am very thankful today that when I need it, the Lord will come a second time. And I want to just talk to you this morning about a God of second chances. Amen. And you can be seated. Jonah, perhaps many of us understand the story of Jonah. And um, maybe it's something that you were taught as a child or maybe you've just recently, depending on your journey with God. You've just recently read about the story of Jonah. But Jonah missed his first chance. And in that, he not only uh, disappointed others, but he failed God miserably. would have to say in the, the spirit of just being transparent that Jonah also suffered for that. And so I don't want to be misunderstood here this morning at all but I am thankful that even in his disobedience and his extreme rebellion, God did not disown him. God did not turn his back and say, well, I gave you one shot at this and now we'll just find somebody else. And I'm very, very thankful to be serving a God of second chances, a voice that will come to us again. Of course, when I say a God of second chances, I'm I mean that metaphorically because I think all of us could say that we have failed or erred with God more than one time. 
but I think we get that. It's kind of like the Bible says that when the, uh, someone compels you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. Twain, the scripture says in the King James Version. That means to go two miles. Well, the point is not two miles. The point is that you just go beyond, and God always goes beyond what we would ever dare think. Jonah woefully missed the mark when God asked him to go to Nineveh and to cry out against the sin, the evil of, of that great city. But when Jonah missed that mark and when Jonah failed God, God just, if I could say it this way, God just hit the refresh button and we just start afresh. And, uh, and uh, he was a different man, of course, when he started out. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. In, a, in just a moment. But Jonah was this man, and he is and will remain the center of our story. But I, I want to talk about more than just Jonah. To be sure, Jonah was not the only person in Scripture that found themselves straying off of the path of God's will for their life. Because over and over in Scripture, as a matter of fact, if we look at even most of those names that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, which are given to us as a roll call of the heroes of faith, all of those that are listed in this hall of fame, each of them in their own right and to different and varying degrees found themselves blanketed by failure. In Luke chapter 5, Simon Peter and his men on this particular day had completely given up. They had fished all night, and they had given up. The Bible says that they were on the shore. There were two ships that were parked, and they were those men were on the, on the shore washing their nets. So Jesus seizes this opportunity in more ways than one. The Bible says that he entered onto or into Simon Peter's boat, and ask him to just push out, thrust out a little bit from the land. And so in just that moment, what had just moments ago been a fishing vessel has now become a platform or a pulpit in which Jesus used to teach to those that had gathered. But the Bible says that when he ended his message, he looked back into the eyes of those distraught, disappointed, disillusioned fishermen and he said, what you need to do is launch out into the deep. I want to insult our intelligence today, but Jesus was talking to skilled fishermen. They were indeed trained professionals. They knew where to go and how to do what, uh, what their vocation had been. Some of them were multiple generations. He meant to this divine instruction, to this divine voice that had just gotten through speaking and teaching his word, he said, when they said, he said to thrust out into the, deep, into the deep, Simon Peter says, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. If I could pause here for just a moment, I would remind us of something significant in scripture and really something significant in our lives. That anytime, one writer said, anytime we start the sentence out with we, we will probably always end the sentence with nothing. <laughs> If it's going to be we that are doing it, it's probably going to end with a great big nothing. But the scripture goes on to say that when they obeyed the Lord, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. The nets they had just gotten through washing. They had just mended them. 
Now their nets begin to break and they call for their friends. There's friends in that second ship that was mentioned in verse number two. And verse number seven says, and they, those of that other vessel came and filled both ships until they began to sink. And with this happened, the power of conviction so moved in the heart and in the life of Simon Peter that the Bible says he fell at the feet of Jesus and he took him by the knees and in sheer desperation to his Savior, he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Or in other words, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Your spirit and your power, you have given me instructions. I doubted your word and because of that, in, in rather in spite of that, you still allowed a great net to be filled and ships to be filled. Amen. The Lord didn't give up just because Simon Peter said, we've already tried this. He didn't do that because he doubted. As a matter of fact, the end result of the Lord's reply to his lack of faith was this. A few verses later, he said, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. I just use this example to show you something, Simon, that when you will obey me and when you will do, where I, do what I am asking and you'll go where I'm sending, what you saw in those nets were fish. And what you felt in those ships that were about to sink was a great multitude. But that was just to show you that this, just like there's fish in the sea, there is mankind on the earth. And that's how powerful the word is going to be when I commission you to go. And so he has now offered him a greater challenge to some degree, but a greater reward. Because it's not just going to be fish, but I'm going to give you influence in the heart of mankind. If you know the story you know that this would certainly not be Simon Peter's last failure. This would not be the end all tell all because this man in all honesty was going to have far more dismal failures in his future when Peter denied the Lord around the enemy's campfire. If we kind of fast forward the scenes just a little bit, when, the, when he denied the Lord around the enemy's campfire that fateful night, there was another chance that was waiting on him to repent of his sins. The Bible said that he went out and he wept bitterly. He understood whenever, whenever, uh, whenever that rooster began to crow, he realized that was the greatest and the most powerful message of repentance I've ever heard in my life. And to that, he did not ignore it. He responded, went out into the night and wept bitterly. I'll tell you, the response is really, really key. The Bible says of Judas... When Judas fell under conviction, he went out into the same night, but he hung himself in a tree. But Simon Peter went out into the night and just called on the name of the Lord and cried out to him, and he found that he was a God of second chances. He was a God that said, we're gonna try this one more time. And so we see Simon Peter in this miserable place around the fire in his denial, out into the night, bitterly weeping and then we turn to the book of Acts chapter 2 and we see and we hear this powerful sermon being delivered a message about salvation a message about how common man could no longer have need and would no longer have need of a priest 
to give something on their behalf. But the veil was torn in two. The power of the Holy Ghost was now, amen, by way of prophecy through the years, sons and daughters are gonna be filled. Amen, there's gonna be something on the inside that Isaiah spoke about, hallelujah. The word was not just gonna be written in tables of stone, Brother Williams, but it's gonna be written in the heart of man. And so when we hear this powerful message being delivered on the day of Pentecost, we need to remember one thing. The man with the microphone that day, the man that had everybody's attention that day was a man that understood a God of second chances. I will tell you this morning that while we ought to be confident in our walk with God, those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb have no room in their lives for arrogancy. Amen. We have no room to be pompous. We have no room to be proud. We're here by the grace of God and His grace alone. <clears throat> Amen. We could say it again and again, and I hope it never loses its impact in our life. But you find the worst case in your definition walking the planet of we call Earth, and we could just point to that and say, but for grace, there go I. I'm thankful for the power of the Lord that will come by and pass by again. Some of the greatest stories and some of the greatest accounts of delivering and preaching the word of God are men and women like Jonah. Oh, we see them. They're already cleaned up. We see them many times. We don't even meet them until this side of Calvary. But if you could just somehow claw through all the mud and all the mess, we would not recognize some of the voices that impact our own lives today. We would not even recognize some of those that have encouraged us and strengthened us. We don't know their story. And I'm not suggesting that we should know the story of everybody. But if we could just look behind the veil, we wouldn't even recognize some of those that are so mightily and powerfully used of God. How how did all that happen? It wasn't because of some spiritual glorified spoon in their mouth. It wasn't because of who they are, their last name. It was because they were making themselves available to a God of second chances. A God that if we would avail ourselves, he said, I'll visit again. I'll pass by you again. I'll make my grace available for you again. I'm glad it went one and done. I'm glad that it wasn't just one chance and then you have no more. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to be rubbing shoulders this morning with people of whom the word of the Lord came a second time. Hallelujah. We're here because he spoke to us more than one time. The enemy of our soul would love to paralyze, love nothing more than to allow our failures to paralyze us. But I believe the Lord wants us to repent and keep moving. I don't want to oversimplify this, and I'll try to deal with that in just a moment. But I think it is not enough to just merely regret something. It's not just enough to have remorse about something. That's never going to be sufficient. God is looking for a broken heart. He's looking for something that's broken inside. Psalms 51 and 17, David reminds us that God will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. So I'm not suggesting to you that we can just do whatever we want and move on. I believe that there has got to be a spirit of brokenness, a spirit of repentance. Amen. We can't just keep praying for forgiveness over the same thing. As I've said many times, you eventually need to pray for deliverance over those things so that we can get beyond that. 
a broken and a contrite heart is not only miserable, amen, a con, it's, it's miserable all alone, but if we can just bring a broken heart to God, if we a remorseful heart is just miserable, but if we can bring a broken heart to God, God can do something with brokenness. You know, there's miserable hearts all over the world. But some of them are miserable because they're stubbornly set in their ways. And they're not going to change. Amen. Unless God does something tremendous in their heart to, to shake their foundation. But I believe the key is to repent like Jonah. And to repent like Simon Peter. You know, we, we read the story. It's pretty graphic, the story of Jonah. The Bible says, I'm not even sure how this happened, but the scripture in your Bible talks about him being in the belly of this fish. The Bible talks about seaweed being wrapped around his head. In the middle of all of that mess, he turned himself toward the house of God. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but I'm going to tell you that no matter how, I think the, the message is clear, that no matter how big of a mess you're in, and no matter how low you are, if you could just somehow turn yourself toward God. Amen. I hope my message is clear this morning. We're serving a God of second chances. You're not in, a, you're not in an elite club today. Amen. You're not in, among just some elite group of people. But we're in a group of people that understands the power of a God that will pass back by us one more time and give us another chance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that when we do repent of our sins that the Lord will come and visit us again. And so when we think about this age-old story of Jonah, I've often tried to imagine how maybe this story played out in real time. I, I don't know if anybody was standing on the seashore that afternoon or day or morning, whenever it was, that this, the Bible talks about this fish just spewing him out on dry land. I don't know if he was on the beach alone. Or some family was sitting there with their tent and their children playing. I'm not sure how all that played out. I'm not just trying to be silly this morning, but I just kind of wonder what he looked like after he spent three days. Amen. And then all this, he was probably as bewildered to be loose from that as he was to have been captured three days before. And so what did people think? I believe that there was something in his heart. I, I, I believe the most important thing, we'll probably never have the answers to that, but I believe the most important thing was not what people thought if, in fact, they saw him. But I believe the most important thing is what did God think? Because I believe that it was a different man that got spit out of the fish than the man that got swallowed by the fish. There had been some time to contemplate that move. There had been some time to deal with that rebellion. And so what God would do next Amen with his prophet. What God would do next with his voice was already in his mind. Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said, the life of Jonah cannot be written without God. He said, if you take God out of this prophet's history, there would be no history to write about. This was all about God. This was God's plan from the very beginning. God met Jonah. Amen. We don't know where the fish deposited him. Amen. We know we don't really know where Jonah was, but we know this that the Lord was there. And the Lord had his undivided attention. Because 
One thing we should always understand is that God is more concerned about his workers than he is the work. Now hear me out. Amen. If the workers are where they ought to be and if they are what they ought to be, then the work is going to take care of itself. And so he wasn't worried about the message, so to speak, when he sent his disciples the first time. He said, don't take nothing with you. If you'll just deliver it like this in this fashion, then it'll take care of itself. And then when he sent them the second time, he admonished them to take their garments with them. Amen. He was more worried about them than he was the message because here's the point. If we'll just come to church every time and do what God wants us to do, God will take care of the end result. I'm going to submit something to you this morning. I know that we pray and we consider what songs we're going to sing for every service. We certainly pray and consider and study about what we're going to teach or preach every service. But I'm convinced of this, that if we come in and just stay in the will of God, hallelujah, it's God that's going to take care of the message. The song don't have to be fast in order for God to work. It doesn't have to be slow in order for God to work. The song doesn't have to be new for God to work. It doesn't have to be old for God to work. It don't have to be flashed up on a screen for God to work or sang out of a hymnal for God to work. All we need to do is just say, Lord, help me to do your will. If God is God is going to be more, Brother Williams, God's going to be more worried about the vessel than he is the end result. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, it really, it really and truly, if God wanted to fill somebody with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I felt led that night, or another minister felt led to just teach on something like communion. If we were just doing what the Lord wanted us to do, I hope I'm making sense. Amen. God's not worried about the workers as much as he is the work. And so throughout Jonah's time of rebellion, God was displeased with him, but he never deserted him. He said, I know there is hope here. I mean, we would have given up on him. We would have given up on Simon Peter a long time before the Lord. And, and, and no matter how much he spoke in tongues and no matter how high he jumped, there's not a one here that would have given him the keys. And you just ought to say amen. I was I don't know. There's not a committee living that would have done that. But the Lord said, let's do this. Don't you think somebody questioned that? I'm not saying they questioned the Lord, but don't you think somebody talked about that behind closed doors? <laughs> well, I never cussed and I didn't get the keys. I never denied him and I didn't get the keys. But it was God that controlled the storm. And it was God that can prepare this fish. That's what the scripture says. And it was God that rescued Jonah. And God's irrevocable promises that still cover us say this. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Isaiah 43 and 2 reminds us when you pass through the waters. I'll be there. After the way Jonah refused to obey God's voice, it speaks volumes to all of us, or it certainly should, that, that God's grace spoke to him and passed by one more time. Jonah had turned his back on God's word, and, and so the Lord had been, had been forced to speak to him through some very, very unorthodox means. Storms, and waves, prepared fish in the belly of the fish. 
Now Jonah confesses his sins, turns back toward God, and as a result, the Lord is going to speak to him again through his word. And so I believe that one of the tests of our relationship with God is this, is this. Does God speak to us through his word? When we read and meditate on the word of God, is it just ink on a page or is, is, it, is it just words on a screen or is the spirit of God, does the spirit of God speak to us through his word? God commissioned Jonah. The author and preacher George Morrison said, he said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. <laughs> It's a series of starting over. It's a series of getting back up and dusting yourself off and, and just moving forward with him. And I will tell you that a, a victorious relationship of any sort, if I may be as bold, it would be to say it is a series of new beginnings. When we messed up, we just figured it out. When we messed up, we found out how. We made some, we made some mistakes, but we learned something through that. And so when we fall, here's what the enemy wants us to believe. He wants to believe believe that everything in our past present and future was all wrapped up in that one poor decision he would like to convince us that there is absolutely no hope of recovery but I just want to stand today and boldly tell us that we are serving a God of second chances Jonah 3 and 1 it was our text and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time hallelujah it wasn't the same man that God spoke to the first time he was in a mess he was in a mess he was disillusioned there's no telling how he felt physically think about it Amen. there's no telling what he looked like physically there's no telling how he felt physically there's no telling how bewildered he may have been but in that moment of bewilderment in that moment God came to him and spoke the second time and so I believe this morning that while we are in this service and we say Lord we want to remember our prodigal list today oh that's far more than just a, something we're tossing out amen what we're really saying is Lord despite the mess they're in despite where they may be right now despite where they may be in this very moment we're asking you Lord let your words speak again well they are not the same people they were yesterday or last year or 10 years ago that's right Amen. They may be in a deeper mess than they've ever been in their life, but we have faith that we're serving a God of second chances. And so I say, Lord, if you have to walk into the bar room to talk to them, go into the bar room. Oh, Lord, if you have to go down an alley of drug addiction to get to them, if you've got to get in a crack house to speak to them, oh, Lord, I'm asking you to step in there right now. God, wherever you need to go, wherever they are, hallelujah, we're asking you, God, they may be stoned out of their mind. Amen. They may be blitzed out of their mind, but your word can speak to them. And so we ask you, Lord, come by here. Pass by one more time. Speak again. Speak again. Speak again. Speak again, Lord. Speak again. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, oh, the enemy would love to convince them that your last decision was your final decision, that your last mess up was your final mess up. But I've just got too much faith in the word of God. Micah 7 and 8 said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. The last decision, it may have been a bad decision, but it doesn't have to be your final decision. It may have led you to a mess. 
it may have upended your world and upended your life and it may have affected a lot of people around you but we're serving a God of second chances we're serving a God that says if you'll just cry out to me if you'll just turn somehow Jonah turn toward me somehow Jonah turn toward me and if we'll turn toward him he's a God of second chances Then I understand that I could be horribly mis I could really be horribly misunderstood right here. But you don't have to read your Bible very far. You don't have to be very many layers deep before you start stumbling upon Bible characters that erred. Divinely called. Divinely appointed. Abraham, Abraham, get out of your father's house to a land that's going to flow with milk and honey. It starts in Genesis 11. The promise is reiterated in Genesis 12, 7. But he's not very far away from that altar he built unto the Lord. That he went to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, he lied about his wife. But God gave him another chance. Jacob lied to his father, Isaac. But God restored him and used him to build the nation of Israel. Moses killed a man, even perhaps it was in self-defense. We know how it started. We weren't there. But Moses killed a man and he fled from Egypt. But God called him to be the leader of his people. And the man that I mentioned a moment ago, Peter denied the Lord three times. But the Lord forgave him and said, follow me. Now, I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I'm certainly not trying to say that we can just live fast and furious and do any old thing and there's no ramifications for any of this I think and I hope that we all get that because no matter how encouraging these examples of restoration must be we cannot ever use that as an occasion or an excuse to sin the person that says I can sin because I know the Lord will forgive me has no understanding of the awfulness of sin or, or really the holiness of God Romans 6.15 says, What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul answers, asks a question and answers it in the same verse. He said, God forbid. So God in his grace, and I'll ask our musicians to come if they will, forgives our sins, but God in his government determines that there is a law of the harvest. So please let me say that again. God in his grace forgives sin. But God in his government determines that whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. And the harvest can be very costly. Can I get an amen? The harvest can have a price tag that didn't just go away. It may remain with a man in the mirror for a long time. It may remain... For a lifetime. Because there are some scars. I remember a songwriter many years ago 
said, don't take the scars because they remind me of the fool I've once been. So here's God that challenged Jonah. And four times in this book, four times in this little short book, just four chapters, and each of them very short. Four times in this book, Nineveh is called a great city. Archaeologists tell us that this adjective is well-deserved because the city of Nineveh was great in many ways. It was great in history, having been founded in ancient times by Nimrod, who was a great-grandson of Noah. And so there was a tremendous, deep history in this city. The city of Noah, the city of Nineveh, rather, was great in size. The circumference of the city and its suburbs were about 60 miles. And from what the Lord said to Jonah in chapter 4 and verse number 11, we can conclude that there were approximately 600,000 people that lived there. So it was a great city. One writer said that one of the city walls had a circumference of 8 miles and boasted of 15 towers just in and of itself. Great. It was great in splendor and, and great in influence because Nineveh was one of the leading cities of the powerful Assyrian army. And it was built near the Tigris River and it had the Coaster River running right straight through it. Its merchants traveled the empire and it brought great wealth to this city. The Assyrian army, they were not to be messed with. The Assyrian army was a powerful fighting killing force they were known far and wide a lot by their violence because they showed no mercy to the enemy amen and so I'll ask you to stand it was to this wicked people of this great city that God sent his servant Jonah and he said when you get there I'll give you a message Amen. Because God was worried about the messenger, not the message. He knew what he would have him speak to that people. He assured him, I'll give you words to say. He made that same promise to the disciples. Take no thought. I'll fill your mouth. I'll put it there. I believe I'm preaching today to people that have been right there in that scenario when you didn't really know what to say. But when you opened your mouth, God just filled your mind. You were that vessel that he needed. Because as it has been stated over and over and over again, that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. Amen. So much truth to that. I've repeated that probably hundreds of times through the years. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. But recently, I read where somebody added a little bit more to this statement. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you and the power of God cannot use you. If we'll just make ourselves available, we need to get right because we want to be right and say Lord if you'll just pass by one more time I'll get on this time and, and I'll let 
your spirit do what you're wanting to do. I'm talking about a God of second chances. Amen. Lord, I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.